Welcome to 2020 Vision, where we talk about politics, primaries, and everything in you between. You sound more depressed? God. <laughs> politics is depressing, Aria. <laughs> I'm Liliana Boucher. And I'm Aria Tusi. And today is going to be a how-to guide on how to become president. How to become president. We're going to tell you today how you can be the president of the United States. Of course, if you are a college student, anyone under the age of 35, or someone who does not make a bucket load of money. So you, in about 20 years, <laughs> if only we had been around for 2016, so, you know, Hillary could have listened to us, or Sanders, or anyone, literally. You're estimating that our audience is 15. You know that, right? Perfect. Okay. Well, what was the youngest president? Like 45? No, it was Teddy Roosevelt. How old was he? 42. Okay. So our 15-year-olds, our, our Zoomer audience, we love you. I remember when my when I was a kid and my mom turned 35, I told her, Mom, you can run for president now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when my parents turned 35, zero concept of what a president was. Zero concept. In fact, I'd like to add that I knew so little about what a president was that when I lived in Alabama, um, my second grade teacher told us that we couldn't vote for uh, Barack Obama. Wow. And so I went home and told my parents, you can't vote for Barack Obama no matter what you do because Mr. Miller said so. Sorry, I'm just... My parents, first of all, said we can't vote. We're not citizens. Um, ICE, they are citizens. Legal. <laughs> just putting that one out there. <laughs> Side note for ICE. <laughs> but then they said, but why? And uh, I rubbed the inside of my, my arm, uh -huh. which is white. I'm white. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Miller said that Barack Obama's just not like us. <laughs> I have never been hit so hard in my oh life. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Was there, a, was there a stern letter to the school? No, I don't think so. It wasn't the first time. That school uh, was fun. Well, it was Alabama. Yeah, I mean, they taught creationism at a public school. Mm. So why, why, why fight the petty things mm. like that? Anyways, let's actually get into what this episode yeah. is about. Say you want to file to be on the ballot to run for president. What do you have to do? So first of all, before you even want to do anything to become president, there are a couple of qualifications that you have to have. Like we said before, you have to be 35 years old at least. You have to be a natural-born U.S. citizen, which means that even though my parents are citizens now, they could not be president because they were not born in the U.S. And you have to have lived in the United States for the last 14 consecutive years. Right, so you can't just be living somewhere else. Come back and say, hey, I want that Oval Office. You know who would be fun? Who? What's his name? The guy in Russia. Putin? N no, the American who's, on, who's exiled from the... Uh, Snowden? Yes, Snowden. Edward Snowden? He'd be a great president. Well, he, he's, he hasn't lived in the U.S. for a few years now, so... Make it happen. Can't. Unless. Unless. He is. You know, Alaska, Unless he Russia. has been. <laughs> Got uh <-huh>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Edward Snowden, if you're listening to this, we know. We got you, man. But he may not actually want to run for president because one thing that you do have to do is a lot of paperwork. Correct. You a want to lot of paperwork. You want to talk a bit about that? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> first, you have to file to create an exploratory committee just as the first step if you want to run for president. So you file this committee with the... Um, the Federal Election Commission. Exactly. Basically, all that this entails is that you can run polls, kind of travel around the country, see if people would be interested in you becoming president. I think that this is hilarious because it seems like people don't do this anymore. They just 
They file. just start. Yeah, they just start. So, so is this a required part of it? Technically, no. Okay. Technically, it's, it's highly recommended. Yeah. Technically, you don't have to file any paperwork with the FEC, which we will talk about later. Mm -hmm. But the second thing that you have to do after you've done this quote-unquote exploratory committee mm -hmm. is you have to file a statement of candidacy. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you have to create a principal campaign committee from which you will receive campaign donations and also buy things for your campaign. Once you have raised or spent more than $5,000, that's when you have to start actually filing things. And that's when it gets into the point that you never have to file with the FEC technically, because if you've never spent $5,000 of your own money, you don't need to file with the FEC at all. For example, Ralph Nader did this in 1996. Okay. He did not file with the FEC, and he still managed to be fourth in the popular vote, but mm -hmm. he never filed with the FEC. Well, because technically you can vote for whoever you want. Yeah, Like true. from an election, from like an actual voting standpoint. But no, he was actually running. You yeah, can yeah, run yeah, for no. president and not file with right. the FEC. So what is the benefit of filing with the FEC? You get to do matching funds. Ah, so oh, I see, I see. Do you want to talk about matching funds? Yeah, so matching funds is basically when your campaign spends money, um, the government will use taxpayer money to match some of those funds. What does it go up to? 2500 Up to 2500 per individual. You know, the, the idea behind that is it's supposed to even the playing field for candidates so that someone who just is very wealthy can't just steamroll over people who aren't as wealthy because they can, you know, have enough money to have a fighting chance. I would like to say, though, that matching funds has actually become a really unpopular choice for candidates in recent years because it does cap out your maximum cap campaign funding at a certain point. I don't remember the exact number, which is why many candidates, including Barack Obama, Mitt Romney, etc., choose not to accept matching funds. That way they can fundraise much more than that ultimate limit. Mm -hmm. Like the goal of matching funds not, is not only to even the playing field, but also to kind of limit how much campaign and elections actually cost, mm -hmm. which now is unsuccessful because oh, yeah. candidates just ignore it. Yeah. But if you do want to have matching funds, then you do have to agree to a certain limit. Mm -hmm. Going back to the paperwork, though, because it doesn't require any fine to file this paperwork, other than, of course, the 5000 that you spend, mm -hmm. and even that Ralph Nader showed that you don't really need it, mm -hmm. you can register to be president. Right. So all you 15-year-olds in 20 years, if uh, the government does not completely go... Sideways. If if the country still exists by then. Yeah. If the, and the planet. If the, the continent still exists yeah. by then. We know New York won't. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll be in like Colorado. Oh, for sure. On top sure. of a mountain because yeah. it's like the only land left. You yes. Know? <laughs> but, wow. Or actually, I guess we could just go closer to Vermont. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Appalachia. Or the Appalachian. West Virginia. So good. Take me home. But because anyone could do it, for instance, in... Uh, the 2008 election, by November of 2006, 75 people had registered to run for president, and usually more than 250 fill out the paperwork. Wow. Actually sounds kind of low. Really? Yeah. Obviously, they're not viable candidates, but you'd think that every random delusional person would try this at some point. You know? But see, the thing is, nobody knows about it. So oh, now our audience. Now we're at, So next year, we'll have 500. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Our All of our listeners, especially the ones in France. Oh, yeah, because we definitely have hundreds of listeners. Thousands. Yes. Oh Maybe even tens of them. I don't think that's a reach. I think you got it mm -hmm. right there. Just one weird example that comes up every time that people talk about the fact that anyone could run for president is Vermin Supreme. 
Oh, yeah. Who runs every year. Vermin Supreme. You want to talk a bit about him? Do I don't actually nothing? know anything about him. I know of him. I don't. Yeah. I know he's like a joke candidate, but he's a libertarian, right? He's a libertarian communist. Wow. <laughs> yeah, his words, not mine. It sounds like something that they would, like the, the Republicans of 2009 would call Obama. You know, <laughs> an atheist Muslim. <laughs> oh, my God. A libertarian communist. <laughs> American Kenyan, you know. Yeah. The list goes on. But, um... If you've heard of Vermin Supreme, you probably either know him as A, the goat man, because he has given campaign speeches to goats before on farms, uh-huh. or the guy with the wizard's hat, which is how I knew him, because he wears a wizard's hat to all of his campaign events. Arya's looking it up as we... Either that okay. or it's a dunce cap. Yeah, that actually reminds me of, of a hometown uh, hero we have in New York here. Is that It's not for presidential, but he runs for mayor every election, and his it's his own party, and it's the rent is too damn high party his only platform is that the rent is too high and he wants to lower the rent rocky de la fuente anyone <laughs> own party and um last year when it was election year for the mayor he like goes in a van with a megaphone just by himself and says the rent is too damn high drives around new york he, he was in one of the debates a few years ago like he Beautiful. was debating on the stage with with bill de blasio it was amazing lovely it was amazing so back to what we were talking about once you have filed all the paperwork all of the citizens of the United States who are natural born lived here for 14 plus years and are 35 and over. Once you filed the paperwork necessary, after that you have to file monthly or quarterly reports on your campaign spending and uh, also forms about your personal expenditures, debt settlements, etc. Now, this is interesting because this is all with the FEC, right? Yes. So the FEC doesn't actually have as much power as people would expect it to have because states run their own elections. Correct. So I think it's interesting actually going off your question, answering your question with another question, mm-hmm. which is the whole debate over Donald Trump's tax returns. Mm-hmm. I wonder how he got away with giving nothing if oh, you good need point. to, good with point. the FEC, file so much paperwork. Maybe that has to do with your question because of state I do know. I do know when this was a, a, big, a bigger deal about his tax returns and people talked about it more. The general discussion was that it wasn't actually a requirement to do it it's just that every president in recent memory has done it just as a transparency thing and he didn't yeah that is interesting though but if it says that the fec you must file personal expenditures that's uh-huh. got, right right, that's right. Got a, that, uh, yeah if anyone knows hit us up hit us hey up. uh new york new york attorney general uh <laughs> you listening anyone have any advice so as we said um those are the actual Logistical things that you have to do to become president, but what other things might you need in order to become president that has nothing to do with the bureaucracy of the system? Yeah, we but need fundraise. The number one reason why candidates drop out of primary races, federal races, state, local, everything in between is because they don't have enough money to continue their campaign. For instance, in 1992, just obviously this is two decades ago now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Three no, decades three, ago. Almost three. That, that was 27 years ago. Anyways. The combined campaigns cost $192.2 million, just to put that. The combined campaigns for president? For Bush and Clinton. Like, that's how much they spent. Just those two, too. Yeah. It doesn't include all other people who are running for primaries and everything. Um, In 2008, Barack Obama spent alone $730 million. Wow. And how much did McCain spend? $330 million. So, again, just to go back to that other episode where you talked about the person with the most money usually wins. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see that again. And I mean, okay, money is very important, but it's not the only important thing. It's if money is king, the two princes would be political connections 
and time. Definitely, yeah. And political connections is an interesting one because you see in recent elections, uh, starting, you know, Obama kind of made this really popular as a thing to pursue, which is the grassroots support thing, which is kind of a way to circumvent the political connections thing. But even the candidates that actually are successful, like Obama, for example, who do have grassroots support, they still have a lot of political connections. Um, I'd like to go off of that, especially for the Democratic Party. Political connections are extremely important because of the way the primaries work for Democrats. So basically, in the 1980s or the 1970s, there was a Democratic convention in which there were riots outside because they thought that the voting process wasn't going well because it was kind of a majority rules anarchy kind of situation Mm -hmm. and so after that the democratic party reformed their primaries and made it so now the president who gets the nomination yes they have the votes from the states but more importantly they have the votes of super delegates yes and so super delegates are democratic politicians that are like old guard they've been there they stay there Mm -hmm. and they have a ton of power they exist to make sure that what the party leadership wants actually happens because it's easy to forget this now but We didn't always have primary elections. The idea of parties picking their candidates started out as a bunch of people in a room deliberating, oh, should it be this guy or this guy or this guy? Obviously, that guaranteed that whoever they picked would be representing party establishments interests so and even now still technically the primaries are determined by the national convention. True. Yeah. But don't forget that once they get to the national convention, more or less, you already know who is going to be the nominee. but going off of that, the superdelegates are actually a big reason to relate it to recent politics. Mm-hmm. Why a lot of people think that Bernie Sanders did it was not a win. big talking point yeah. for Bernie supporters. Because Hillary Clinton was, like she is, part of that group of people. And so even though Bernie Sanders had more of the grassroots support, as mm-hmm. you were talking about, Hillary Clinton had the superdelegates. And so she won the nomination. Right. Um, didn't she also win the popular vote with the primary, though? She did. Just to finish off, we've talked about how people can join the race, but why do many people drop out? We've already talked about one. Well, the biggest one is obviously money. The second one is for sure polling. Is mm-hmm. They're just not polling high enough. They don't think they're going to be polling well enough in the future to yeah. have a chance. So examples to what we just talked about, for instance, Kamala Harris dropped out this week. Very recently. And her reason that she cited was lack of funds. Mm-hmm. And then going off of the not polling high enough, a big example that was actually talked about last week was Steve Bullock, who is governor of Montana. And so, in theory, really appealing candidate to a lot of independents and potential swing vote Republicans. But in practice, nobody knew his yeah. name. So it didn't help him at all. And, of course, there's, there's always also the, the personal reason. There's a ton of reasons why someone could drop out. People have dropped out before for having a death in their family and dealing with that. Or they feel like their platform is, is not going to resonate with voters or something like that. Or they're not having the momentum that they thought they wanted. But while we're on topic of polls, we should move to the current polls. As usual, we use real clear politics. In first, we still have good old Biden, who's sitting at... Good old malarkey boy. It's a bunch of malarkey that he's still up there, but... What is he at? 28%. Then we have Sanders at 17. Warren slightly widening that gap between herself and Sanders at 14%. We have Buttigieg climbing. He's at 12% right now. Mm -hmm. Then we have Bloomberg at 4. So there's a huge gap. Wait, wait, wait. He's number 4? Yeah. Well, because Harris is gone now. Yeah, number, wow. Then we have Yang, 2.6, so that's higher than he's been for a while. Mm-hmm. Klobuchar at 2.4, Booker at 2, and then, yeah. That's all for this week. You've been listening to 2020 Vision. If you're on .org, stay tuned for the spotlight for some sports talk. As always, I'm Ari Atusi. I'm Liliana Boucher. Have a good week.